It was always you. By M. L. Traffray. Read by Literarian. Chapter 30. I should have seen it coming. I should have fucking known. 2019. Crowley sometimes wondered if he was having one long, vivid dream. Like, perhaps, he'd wound up in a coma somehow, perhaps hitting his head or getting into some sort of accident all the way back at the end of May that caused him to dream up Ezra and Adam. Because it wasn't reasonable to be this happy, was it? It wasn't reasonable to reunite with the one person he'd wished for more than anything over the years. To find out within a couple of weeks of sad reunion that Ezra had always loved Crowley as well, and just a few months after that have Ezra and Adam move in with him. Oh, and have Ezra ask him to marry him. That was still something that had Crowley question reality on a regular basis. He woke up every morning to the scent of Ezra lingering on the sheets, the spot he'd slept in still warm. He'd hear Warlock and Adam begin to rise out in the hallway, the boys having their own, separate rooms, but still often ending up in one or the other. Ezra would be in the kitchen, making breakfast, and when Crowley finally pulled himself from that quiet morning bliss, Ezra would greet him with a kiss, and a good morning, and a cup of coffee. They would bring the boys to school, then go sneak a second cup together in what had become their spot before Crowley brought Ezra to work. He'd then go about his day, and when the time came, he'd pick up the boys first, before they went as a group for Ezra. Dinner would be discussed, and, depending on the night, was ordered or cooked shortly after everyone returned home. And once the boys were asleep, Crowley and Ezra would have a glass of wine, talk about their days in a way they might not have when the boys were up, and then head off to bed together to repeat the cycle again in the morning. Two weeks. Two official, single-dwelling weeks of that beautiful, wonderful life, and Crowley was beginning to get the feeling that the other shoe was about to drop. Because he'd had a streak of good that had spent perhaps a bit too long. If there was one thing Crowley had noticed about life, it was that the good never went on unending. So, as he leaned on the counter of the London shop, staring at the arrangement he'd finished earlier waiting for pickup, he tried to imagine what event would send his life into a tailspin. His first thought was Gabriel. The man had been awfully silent since he'd swung by their mini-engagement party, but never came in. Ezra never said what they talked about, only that Gabriel was having a hard time accepting what transpired and needed time to come to terms with it. But considering the man used to text every day and call much more often than Crowley thought necessary, the radio silence was jarring enough that Ezra had mentioned perhaps checking in on him. 
He also considered Adam's father popping back up, hinting that maybe he actually did want in Adam's life, though that one was admittedly a stretch. Crowley had seen and heard Lucas when he spoke of his offspring and suspected it would take a cold day in hell for him to change his mind. Harriet always crossed his mind, very briefly, when he pondered what sort of shitstorm would befall him, but he knew her better than he had a read on Lucas, and she wasn't coming after him or Warlock. It was mostly because he'd read in a paper that she and Thad had returned to England that it even crossed his mind at all. Then there was Ezra himself. What if he'd come to his senses and realized that maybe marrying his longtime best friend after ten years of not speaking really was a bit insane? Or worse, what if he woke up tomorrow, a week from now, maybe next month, and realized he hadn't loved Crowley, just the memory of him? Which led to the most worrisome part of the lot. Himself. Crowley hadn't had the best track record for relationships. He never had. He was nearly always the one that ended things, and when he didn't, it was because he wouldn't cave on some sort of ultimatum. And his walking away is what caused this whole mess in the first place, though Ezra would be quick to tell him he was equally guilty in not following after. He'd circled through the possibilities, hoping Bea would come back from lunch soon so he could get back to arrangements and away from the counter where he was just waiting. Eric had always been better on the floor, helping people choose what they needed, and the other person working the floor, a new hire from Bea Crowley couldn't remember the name of, was still learning their way about the products. He'd practically jumped when the bell over the door chimed, turning in hopes of finding Bea, and instead was surprised to find James walking in instead. That, he greeted, hating the way the word felt in his mouth. Anthony, he replied politely, looking around, touching a leaf on a nearby monstra. You and I should have lunch this afternoon. Should we? Crowley countered, wondering what James was up to. Then he remembered that Erica said they split up, and Crowley hadn't bothered to check in with him in all this time. When can you step away? It wasn't meant the way he said it, and loathed as he was to heal to James' commands, Crowley knew to keep the peace where he could. Um... He called, frowning in hopes for the name of the girl to spring to his mind. It didn't, but she dropped what she was doing and went eagerly to him, a wide smile on her face. Bit creepy, actually. He glanced at her name badge. Sydney, I'm stepping out. Bea will take over when they return. Sidney nodded, moving around Crowley to stand at the counter, hands clasped in front of her as she stared straight ahead. He frowned at her, wondering if Bea hired her because of the creepiness about her, then followed James out the door. They did not stay in Soho, which didn't surprise Crowley at all. 
They went just outside of Soho, on the Mayfair side, to a place that had outdoor seating and where a lunch plate cost no less than twenty pounds. Half of Crowley's brain wondered why he hadn't taken Ezra here, given how much he would certainly enjoy it. The other found it all very unsettling, because this was not something James did. Never once, in all the years that Crowley lived in London, did he pop by to have a meal. Crowley watched him, trying to read that calm, cool exterior, wondering what line of questioning regarding Erica he was going to get. Once they ordered, James asked about the business, and Crowley gave him his usual answer, long past the point where he felt he needed to prove he wasn't bullshitting over how well it was thriving. He asked James how things were at work, and James gave his normal, non-committal response. I have a new intern, he added once the food arrived. Of course you do. Crowley responded casually as he began to pick at his overpriced salad. They're very eager to please, James commented, and Crowley sneered. I don't want nor need to hear that. He glared at James. Oh, but I think you do, James said without malice, which only confused Crowley more. See, he is more than willing to run all my errands, practically comes when I call like a well-trained dog, and I didn't even have to lift a finger to teach him. I say, grab my dry cleaning, and he goes, get my lunch, and he's back at my desk with it in hand. Order my mistress some flowers, and he goes to the one shop I have asked him to pop into now and again many times over without question. Because, after all, it is the best spot in London. Everyone who is anyone knows it. And he knows you. Hard for anyone not to when you're a freak show. James said this as one would state the weather before he put a bite of steak in his mouth and chewed. It took everything Crowley had not to roll his eyes, freak show though they might be behind brown contacts. He wasn't actually known for his eyes, he kept them fairly well hidden. James just loved to bring them up. Though Crowley could never tell if it was because it was how James had always felt and refrained from saying anything when he was little. But then, you're not my son, are you? James added in the same factual tone as before, and Crowley stiffened. He stared at James, gauging how he should answer that. Yeah. He finally managed, seeing no point in denying it. When did she tell you? James asked, while preparing another bite of his meal. Crowley pushed the leaves in his salad around. She didn't, actually. It was something I came to find out or figure out later, he replied, deciding to keep as much about his second family from James's knowledge as he could. It surprised him that James grinned, something genuine, and what might have once been nice if it wasn't for the fact that James had only ever smiled at Crowley like that once, when he announced Crowley was going to be a father. Good on you for keeping that to yourself. How many years now? Three? Five? Crowley remained silent. 
That long? James asked, eyebrows shooting up. Crowley pressed his tongue to his teeth before saying, He was my doctor when I had my appendix out. James laughed, shaking his head, going back to his food for a couple minutes, and Crowley apprehensively picked at his own. Divorce proceedings likely hadn't started, and he knew he was feeding James all the ammunition he needed to take his mother down, but it was also nothing a private investigator wouldn't find out eventually. I gotta say I'm impressed. You played me. Not many people can do that. James replied. I didn't play you. Crowley bit out through clenched teeth. You're my... Not your father. You raised me. You're my dad. I am not, James said casually, like he didn't care. But I could be. Crowley frowned. What? I could pretend this whole conversation never happened. I always had my suspicions, of course. I'm not an idiot. But until Erica tossed me out, I hadn't really considered finding out. And I almost didn't, because he was successful with a son, and I suppose one couldn't ask for more than that. Until I found out you were engaged to a man. Everything in Crowley's body went momentarily cold. Uh, how? He stammered. Like I said, I have an intern who is just so damn eager to please. Asked me if I wanted to send my son a gift to celebrate his engagement to his partner, Ezra. Now, how long has that been going on? Not as long as I would have liked. Is there a point to all this? Crowley asked, regaining his composure and footing. Yes, James said, dabbing his face with a napkin, resting his hand on the table over top of it. End it. Crowley blinked. You're joking. I'm not. Why would I do that? Crowley asked incredulously. Because, James tilted his head, if you don't, you'll wish you had. Going to make my life miserable, are you? James pursed his lips, then leaned forward. I thought about it long and hard, figuring out what the best way to go about this was. See, I can't force you to drop my last name. You've had it too long. People know you. And really, that could come back on me in a bad way. I had thought about maybe taking it out on your mother, but I don't see the point in that either. It's not like Erica has ever been the mother of the year. You two aren't especially close, and she may just have enough hell to pay for my lawyer's get to her. I considered very briefly sending someone to threaten that fairy you're so damn attached to, but then... Then I thought... Firm hand. Firm hand, Crowley repeated. Yes, a firm hand. The way I kept you in line until you were nearly thirty years old. Crowley scoffed. You're going to try and take my money back, is that it? He asked, eyebrows climbing higher. Call it off. James repeated. No. You'll regret it. 
James warned. I've lived with enough regret regarding Ezra Fell in my life to know all too well what it looks like. Crowley said, his jaw tightening. There isn't a damn thing you could do to make me regret staying with him. James smiled. We'll see, he said, standing up. You'll have a week, two if I'm generous, to change your mind. If I don't hear otherwise, I'll assume you didn't listen. And don't think I won't be checking in to see if you're trying to call my bluff if you do call. James headed toward the podium set up for payments. He pointed at Crowley before handing the man at the podium his card, waiting for it to go through, then waved at Crowley with a cheerful grin. Crowley bared his teeth and returned the smile with a wave that was nothing more than a wiggle of his fingers. There was nothing James could do, and Crowley knew it. Are you sure this is something you want to do? Anthony asked him as they spoke on the phone to each other while Ezra walked to the cafe they usually went to in the mornings. It's something I should, Ezra countered, waiting to cross, smiling and waving to a couple of students who shouted hello at him. I may not care for him the way I care for you, but he is my friend and we had a relatively large disagreement. If I want to keep my friendship with Gabriel... If being the key word there, Angel. Anthony cut in. Ezra carried on. Then lunch with him is the least I can do. And it's a good opportunity, seeing as how I have a bit of a longer one than normal, given my free period immediately after. And I find it terribly convenient that he knew which day that was. Anthony grumbled. Yes, dear, Ezra retorted, the light changing and allowing him to continue on. How's work going so far? I'd much rather be doing this in Tatfield, Anthony grumbled. Arranging here now feels a bit like being in a fishbowl. And the bride was an utter nightmare. I swear, Angel, if you get particular about the cakes and whatnot, the way this woman was about flowers, I will... You'll what? Ezra smiled. Not marry me? I didn't say that, Anthony grumbled. Just won't be making a bit tada of it. Go to the city hall, sign some papers. Hmm, well, you have me there. Ezra deadpanned his tone, still grinning. Terribly romantic that I am. You are, don't you deny it? Anthony retorted back. I suppose I should let you go, shouldn't I? Probably almost there. I am, Ezra confirmed, the cafe getting closer and Gabriel's car already parked outside of it. I shall see you after work then. Right. Till then, Angel. Bye, darling, he said before ringing off, stepping inside the cafe. 
He smiled and waved to the barista who had been there this morning, glancing around and spotting Gabriel in the corner with lunch for two already waiting. Ezra made his way over and noticed Gabriel seemed more nervous than Ezra had ever known him to be. He grinned when he spotted Ezra, but it was small, like he wasn't sure it would be welcome. He twitched, as though he meant to stand, but thought better of it. Ezra slid into the booth across from him. You don't need to be so flighty, Gabriel. Sorry, sunshine, he apologized. Just not sure. It's the same as it always was, my dear fellow, he assured, though he refrained from offering comfort physically. He kept it to a grin, even if it was perhaps a bit strained. He glanced down at the salad Gabriel had grabbed for him, noting with minor dismay that it lacked anything that might make it taste somewhat edible, but carried on anyway. No sense in rocking the boat over something minor such as greens. How are things? Your promotion? That set Gabriel off, as Ezra knew it would. He began to slowly pick at his food, chewing and nodding, making the appropriate hum or grunt at the right spot, while trying desperately to appear interested in Gabriel's office politics. At least it was like it had always been. At least the unease between them had disappeared for a short amount of time. He'd nearly just about choked down his bowl of leaves and some sort of flavorless dressing when his phone began to vibrate in his pocket. Normally, Ezra wouldn't have looked, but normally no one would think to call him during what would be the school day. Of course, there was the chance that it was simply a telemarketer or some other nonsense. But Anthony may have needed to ask him something. It could be Michael calling to inform him he needed to return to the building for his free period for some reason or another. As discreetly as he could, using Gabriel taking a pause to stab the last of his bland meal to do so, Ezra checked his phone. Oh, he gasped out, his body chilling. Excuse me, Gabriel, it's the school. Work's calling you? Gabriel asked, surprised. No, the boys' school, Ezra explained before answering. Hello, this is Ezra Fell speaking. Hi, Mr. Fell, this is the school nurse. The woman on the other end replied calmly. A good sign, Ezra hoped. I wanted to let you know, first off, that it's not an emergency. But I had had difficulty getting a hold of Warlock Crowley's father. He's in London today, Ezra replied, his heart racing. Is Luck... is he all right? He's not running a fever or anything of the sort, but he seems very much in pain. He's complaining of a headache and it seems bad enough that he's lying in my exam room with the lights off and his eyes closed. Does he have a chronic issue with headaches? Not that we're aware, he said, feeling a little lost. Anthony had never mentioned anything that he could recall. 
And while Warlock complained a little bit here and there about his head hurting during the summer, Ezra had thought it was tied into his allergies. It had also never been as the nurse described. I suppose I should come get him then? If you could, the nurse replied. I'll be there as quick as I can, he replied before ringing off. He looked at Gabriel, who watched him wearily. You wouldn't happen to still have that booster you purchased for Adam? He asked, wringing his fingers after tucking away his phone. Yes, I do have the booster for Adam, Gabriel replied firmly. Please, Gabriel, Ezra started. I'm not going to get Crowley's kid from school. He's my son too, Ezra retorted. No, he's not, Gabriel replied, sounding thoroughly annoyed. Ezra stared for a moment. In your idea of a perfect world, had I ended up deciding that you were the man for me and I had Adam, are you telling me you'd have not considered him your son as well? Gabriel floundered. Of course I would, but that's... Of course you would, Ezra repeated. Because he's my son, and while nothing is yet official, Locke is my son as well. And right now, my son needs me. Now I could hop on a bus to the school, pick him up, and hop on a bus back to our home. But I'm asking my friend, who I happen to be with at the moment, who has a car and a booster, if he would very kindly help me get my son home so I can take care of him with as little discomfort to him as possible. Gabriel opened his mouth, but the only thing that came out was an uncertain sound. Ezra watched him wage war with himself, seeing every emotion playing on his face before he sighed. Fine, he relented. Not for Crowley, not at all, not even for his kid, but for you. I'll take that, Ezra said as he rose from the booth, collecting his refuse to drop on the way out. He glanced over his shoulder, seeing Gabriel still sitting a moment as if collecting himself, and then rise. He followed Ezra out the door, getting out his keys and unlocking the doors with a push of the button. As Ezra got into Gabriel's car, he took out his phone once more and rang Michael's number. I won't be returning after lunch, a bit of a family emergency, he told her when she answered. Everything all right? she asked. Yes, yes, one of my sons is ill and needs to be taken home and my fiancé is in London. He could hear the smirk in Michael's voice when she replied, I'm going to have to hand your class off to Ligger. And he's more than welcome to wax poetic on how wonderful physical education is, if he must. This is how I can tell family life has softened you, she mused. You'd have been horrified before. Well, I... It's nice, Ezra. She cut him off. Go take care of your family. He looked at his phone when the call cut off and couldn't help but grin to himself. 
He had, of course, told Michael everything, even before telling Newt at the party. There was paperwork, after all. She'd teased him a little, but offered her most sincere congratulations and left it at that. He'd never been happier about having such an understanding boss. He knew for a fact that there was at least one other principal he'd worked with in the past that would have asked him to find someone else to watch Warlock, especially since he wasn't technically his, and get back to work. As they pulled up outside the school, Ezra turned to Gabriel. Would you mind terribly getting the seat ready? Not for you, he replied, parking the car so Ezra could get out. He made his way into the school, was directed into the nurse's station near the front office and popped inside. The nurse looked up when he came in. Mr. Fell? Yes, hello, he said, glancing at a closed door off to the side. Is he? he asked, indicating. She nodded and got up, went to the door and knocked very lightly. She opened the door as softly as possible. Warlock? Is Dad here? He asked in a very strained voice. It broke Ezra's heart. No, dear, it's it's Papa Luck. Ezra cut off, flashing the nurse a smile when she reared back and frowned. Papa, my head hurts. Warlock said, turning his head and peeking at him through barely opened eyes. I know, my darling, Ezra said as he went up to the exam table and brushed Locke's hair aside. I'm going to take you home and we'll try and get you right as rain. Would you like me to carry you out so you can rest your head and keep your eyes closed? Or are you too big for that? Warlock immediately lifted his arms, and Ezra chuckled quietly as he bent down and picked the boy up. He was a bit heavy, but nothing he couldn't manage. Do I sign him out with you? he asked the nurse. Yes, that's fine, just over here at my desk, she said as she let him over. Sheepishly, she said, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were dad, too. You're just down as his second. There wasn't a relation to Warlock listed, so I just guessed. It's perfectly fine, Ezra assured, signing one-handed while she held the binder the sign-out form was on, steady. Our family is still a bit new. His brother is listed the other way around, myself first and Anthony second. He hadn't put a relationship to Adam either, as he hadn't known what to put. All right, Locke, feel better, the nurse said with a grin despite Warlock not seeing, and Ezra headed out, collecting Warlock's backpack and jacket as they hung by the door. Outside, Gabriel stood by the car, back passenger side door open and the booster placed. Locke, do you remember Mr. Haven? Ezra asked as they got closer. Warlock nodded. He's going to give us a ride home, okay? Okay, Warlock mumbled, and Ezra placed him inside and got him fastened. 
The drive to the house was wonderfully quiet, Gabriel having the radio off and not bothering to fill the silence with chatter. Once home, Gabriel didn't get out of the car and Ezra could sense him watching him get Warlock out. Once he had the boy and his things once more, Ezra went to the window, which Gabriel then rolled down. Thank you, he said, putting all his appreciation into it. Gabriel merely gave a quick quirk of his lips and a nod. I'll see you, sunshine, he said, and once Ezra and Warlock were clear of the car, he took off. Inside the house, Ezra sent Warlock straight up to bed, telling him he will be there in a few minutes, then called Antony. He answered almost right away. Are the boys okay? He asked, bordering on panicked. It was Locke. He has a pretty bad headache. Ezra told him as he went about getting Warlock a tall glass of water and one of the children's headache tablets. Has he had anything like this before? Once last year, Antony replied. But if I'm honest, I didn't think it was that bad. Locke had it rough, didn't fit in well in the nursery. Thought maybe he was having a bad day. I mean, I treated it like it was real, of course, and it probably was, but... Did his mother have problems with her sight? Ezra asked. It may be that he needs glasses. Antony was quiet. I don't know if I remember seeing Harriet with glasses, but suppose... Antony sighed. I feel terrible. I should have been there. Glad you were, at least. As I always will be, Ezra replied. Now, get back to work. I'm going to see to our boy. A few incoherent sounds came from Antony before he finally managed an, All right, bye. Ezra brought the water and tablet up to Warlock as the boy dutifully chewed the tablet. Ezra helped him undo his tie. When the water was drunk, he helped Warlock change into pajamas, then tucked him into bed. Papa, will you read to me? He asked as Ezra soothed his hair back. Would you like that? Ezra asked and Warlock nodded. All right, I'll read, but nothing too silly so you can rest. He picked a book or two off the shelf and sat on the bed beside Warlock, feeling the boy's head press against him, seeking comfort. While Ezra read softly, he stroked Warlock's hair until he fell asleep. He thought it would be odd, maybe a bit uncomfortable, having just Adam to pick up. Crowley may have lost his mind a little when Ezra referred to Warlock as theirs, and considering how much time Ezra had spent with him without Crowley about, it made sense that the ease would be there. But Adam? 
Crowley loved him to bits, but he hadn't had the same amount of time to really bond with him the way Ezra seemed to have bonded with Warlock. Adam may have been the first to address them both as his parents, but Crowley was still trying to comprehend how he came to have that honour when he still felt a step out of place sometimes. Yet, when he waited outside the Bentley like he had every day at pickup, Adam still greeted him with a big smile and a Hi, Dad! without Warlock doing so as well. He still ran up and hugged Crowley's legs, and it was only after that he seemed at all off. Is Lock okay? Teacher said Papa came to pick him up, only she called him my dad, which was weird because I thought she was talking about you. I think Locke's fine, Crowley managed to say, opening the door and getting Adam settled inside. And your teacher probably doesn't know how our family works, he added, before he got in as well, turned the key, then stopped. He might get in trouble, he might not. He weighed the pros and cons and then found a strange sort of compromise. Adam he said, getting his attention from where he was waving to his friends out the window. How would you like to go grab a hot cocoa, just you and me? And maybe we can pick up a cake or something to take home to Locke and Papa. All right, Adam's eyes lit up and Crowley smiled. He headed through town, a few blocks away from the house, to the little bakery shop that he'd bought Ezra's birthday cupcakes from a few months back. Once inside, he placed their beverage orders and asked to have a chocolate cake boxed up to grab as they were leaving. At a table, Adam happily wrapped his hands around his cup, whipped cream on his nose from when he took a dainty sip. Crowley smiled, handing him a napkin. Your papa was always so terribly fond of Coco, I'm not surprised in the least that you ended up the same way. He used to make it for me every weekend when I slept over, Adam replied, taking another sip. His is better than here, but it's still pretty good. Though there was one place in London where we would meet Oscar and Richard... Adam prattled on, and Crowley listened with amusement. How talk of a cafe turned to the museums Ezra would take Adam to, then the parks, and so on. It was as he was telling another tale involving Oscar and Richard that Crowley's attention was drawn to the door, and he watched Gabriel saunter in. He was looking at the case of cakes, frowning, and Crowley was damn near tempted to pretend he wasn't there and never saw him, but guilt ate at him. As Adam finished his story, Crowley smiled at him. Oscar and Richard spoiled you rotten, didn't they? He commented, and Adam nodded with a mischievous grin. Gimme one sec, Crowley told him, then turned toward the unaware Gabriel and called his name. Gabriel turned toward them and Adam turned to wave before taking another drink of his cocoa. Gabriel took a deep breath, then came over to their table. Crowley, he said stiffly, then turned to Adam with more warmth. 
Hi, champ. Hi, Mr. Haven, Adam said. Dad took me out for Coco. Locke went home with Papa earlier because he's not feeling good, but it's okay because we're going to bring home a chocolate cake for them. Are you? Gabriel replied, his shoulders sagging just a little, his tone a bit disappointed. Uh-huh, which is good because chocolate is both Papa and Locke's favourite, so they'll be really happy. That's nice, Gabriel said, then turned to Crowley. Thank you, Crowley managed to say. Ezra told me you helped out. I didn't do it for you, Gabriel replied with barely any politeness. I'm well aware, thanks, Crowley retorted with a scowl. Doesn't mean I don't appreciate it myself. There was a long, awkward pause before Gabriel nodded once. Okay, he acknowledged, then turned to Adam, giving him a light punch to the shoulder. See you later, champ, he said, before turning around and walking right out the door, having never ordered anything. Crowley watched the door a second before something clicked. Adam... Why do you call Oscar and Richard by their names, but you call Gabriel Mr. Haven? Adam shrugged. Mum said it was because they were family friends and Mr. Haven is more just Uncle Ezra's friend. And that we didn't want to get... He frowned. Familiar with him. Familiar? Crowley guessed with a smirk and Adam nodded. Why's that? Adam looked over his shoulder at the door and then leaned across the table. Mum used some words I can't say. They weren't nice. Crowley tried in earnest to keep the laughter in, but simply couldn't. Within seconds, he was giving a great guffaw, much to Adam's confused pleasure, but managed to keep it short for the sake of those around them. <laughs> Your mum was a great woman, Crowley said. Adam's smile grew a little smaller. I miss her sometimes, he admitted to his Coco. But Papa said it was okay if I don't miss her all the time, so I don't feel bad. It is, Crowley nodded. And it's okay when you do miss her too. Adam nodded as well, then he tilted his head. I think she didn't want me to miss her too much, he said thoughtfully. I think that's why Papa has you now, because when she left she didn't want us to be lonely, so now we have you and Locke, he shrugged. I don't know. Maybe, Crowley replied, trying to wrap his mind around the brilliance of this little boy. Adam met his eye. Does Locke have a mum? Crowley blinked. Everyone has a mum, he replied. Yeah, but does he have a mum like I had a mum? Adam asked and Crowley wished the world would open up and swallow him whole. 
He had no idea what to say to this child when even Warlock hadn't asked about his mum since he was quite little and wondered why he only had a dad. It had been easy at the time, a simple, some kids only have one parent, had satisfied his curiosity and he carried on. When all Crowley could do was stutter, Adam continued, Mum once told me I didn't have a dad, but there was a man who helped me give me to her. Is that how it was with luck? Did a lady help you give him to you? Yes. Crowley latched on to that far faster than he'd have liked. Yes, that's exactly how it is. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Finish your cocoa. We need to be heading home soon. Ezra absolutely lost it when Anthony recounted what happened in the bake shop that night in bed. He knew Anthony was only pretending to be affronted, his chest shaking as he tried not to follow Ezra over the edge of laughter. Eventually, the giggles came out as Ezra started to peter off and Anthony flung his hands in the air. I didn't know what else to do, he proclaimed. <laughs> you probably did the right thing. Ezra managed to say, still chuckling a bit. <laughs> Eliza was adamant that Adam never be lied to about how babies came to be, but merely gave age-appropriate information. So a man helped her have him, but he wasn't Adam's dad. He didn't have a dad. Warlocks never asked, is that weird? Ezra shrugged. I don't think so, they're only five after all. Adam's always been a precocious child, perhaps not overly bookish, but still. He was about three, I think, when it first came up. Deirdre had been pregnant with their second, and Adam was curious. Whatever happened to her? Anthony asked. She and Arthur moved to the States about a year ago, I believe, Ezra replied. She and Eliza kept in touch, but she hadn't been able to make it back for the funeral. His heart ached, but he didn't feel like crying, which Ezra counted as a win toward healing. Well, if Locke ever asks, I'm taking a page out of Eliza's book then. Birds and the bees, bloody hell, that's going to be a conversation, isn't it? I think we're still a few years off, dear. Ezra reminded, turning onto his side so he could better look at Antony. He took in his face, his eyes, as he played with a strand of his hair. I suppose I should have asked this beforehand, and I do remember Gabriel asking, but... Do you ever think of having more children? Antony frowned. I don't know, he admitted. I think I really did get to a point where I expected Locke would be my one and only. Would it matter to you if they were adopted? If we had another? No. Anthony frowned further. Why would it matter? 
Adam's adopted. I mean, yes, technically, he's your family, but he's still adopted. You did mail in those papers, by the way, didn't you? I had, Ezra confirmed. But I had wondered, since Locke was yours, if perhaps... Angel, if there comes a time that we decide we want another child, I will gladly adopt one with you. And if we never have any more than just Adam and Locke, then we just have them, and I'm happy with that as well. All right, Ezra said, feeling oddly relieved, though he couldn't pinpoint why. He had filled out the adoption forms to make everything official in regards to Adam being his son. It wouldn't take long, he was told, and there likely wasn't going to be any issues as he was already considered Adam's legal guardian and there was no other family that would fight for him. It had got him wondering, though, if maybe he'd have to do it again for another child with Antony. He remembered how long it took Oscar and Richard and began to wonder if maybe he should ask Anthony if that's what he wanted sooner rather than later. He just hadn't thought of a great way to bring it up before. Do you want another? Anthony asked. I'm genuinely unsure, Ezra admitted. I love Adam, I love Locke, and if we had another, I would love them, too. But I don't need another child. I would be perfectly content with just the four of us. But if you wanted one, well... Babies are hard, Anthony lamented. And I do so love sleep. Ezra chuckled. <laughs> Yes, that you do, my love. Antony huffed. <laughs> Let's... can we table this one? Yes, Ezra said. It's just a thing I was curious about. My curiosity has been sated. Antony smirked. Anything else need to be sated? He asked with a lilt. No, you fiend. Ezra smacked him lightly on the chest while Anthony giggled. Honestly, have you grown up at all? Only where it matters, Anthony replied cheerfully. Maturity and all. Parenthood. Still a flirt, Ezra mumbled. Yes, but these days I only flirt with you. Anthony said, rolling on his side and kissing Ezra soundly. Doesn't matter anyway, I'd have made you do all the work. Of course you would have, Ezra quipped. What's that supposed to mean? Anthony asked with a grin. You know perfectly well what it means, Ezra replied haughtily. Not a clue. Anthony teased as he shifted closer to Ezra. Anyway, I'm beat. You reading a while? Probably. I'll get the main light. Use that reader thing you gifted me, Ezra said as he shifted up, propping his back against the headboard. E-reader. Bloody hell, Angel. I swear you do this on purpose. Anthony grumbled as he settled in, pressing his forehead to Ezra's tartan-clad thigh. 
Ezra smirked, because he did, in fact, do it on purpose. He rested his hand on Antony's head, then settled in to read for a few hours while his future husband drifted off. It had been a terribly busy day, but at least Crowley could work in the Tatfield location. Close to home meant he could grab the boys after school, saving Ezra from having to go there after secondary let out. It meant Crowley got to have a longer breakfast with his love and then lunch with him on the one day a week Ezra had his free period immediately after, thwarting Gabriel's attempt at the second lunch date to boot. Crowley was tired, but the end of the day was near, though he had a mountain of paperwork to sort through at home. Which was fine, because he loved snuggling up to Ezra, getting it done while his angel read or graded or formed lesson plans. It was the sort of domestic bliss Crowley had dreamed of having one day, and didn't think he'd achieve. He was just finishing up when Anathema knocked on the doorframe, popping her head in with a frown. AJ, there's someone who needs to see you. He frowned as Anathema showed the man in, ducking back out to likely deal with a customer. Hi, Crowley said, wiping his hands on a rack before approaching the bloke. How can I help you? The bloke handed Crowley an envelope, gave him a sad sort of smile, and left the room. Crowley stared after him, frowning. The hell was that about? He mumbled, before he looked down at the envelope in his hands, seeing the stamp in the corner bearing the name of the Crowley family's lawyer's firm. His frown only deepened a moment as he tried to recall if there had been anything he'd have contacted his lawyer about. Then he remembered James's threat. It had been a couple weeks, though it felt like a lifetime and Crowley had pretty much forgotten it. He certainly didn't call off his engagement, he hadn't even told Ezra he had met with the man. Crowley almost tossed the envelope aside to be dealt with tomorrow when it suddenly dawned on him how perfect the timing of this envelope's arrival was. Ezra had only sent in his forms to adopt Adam last week. And now a sad smiling man in a suit had just handed Crowley an envelope without so much as a how do you do and walked away. An envelope from a law firm. Fear and panic struck as Crowley fumbled the envelope open and pulled out the papers, ignoring the sting of the paper cut the action produced. He skimmed, searching, eyes scanning every word on the clearly legal document for any sign of Ezra or Adam's name. None came, and for a brief moment Crowley's whole body sagged and his racing heart calmed until he took a minute to read everything over more clearly. He read, 
re-read, then read once more the document while his stomach slowly started to feel heavier, his heart sinking down to it, causing everything in him to go cold once more. AJ, Anathema said an unknown time later. He looked up at her, seeing the concern, not being able to feel anything about it. It's almost time for you to get the boys. You're usually out the door by now. Everything all right? Crowley swallowed the lump in his throat. No, no, it's not all right. Anathema stared at him a moment, then came to his side, reading the document over his shoulder. She mumble-read, then stopped short and silent, staring with growing horror before she turned to AJ. He's suing you for the garden!